Uh, hello, family. Good to see you guys. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Isn't that good news? It's super good news. If you are a guest with us or a curious skeptic with us this afternoon, we're really glad that you're here. We hope that God speaks to you powerfully today as well. And uh, if you're just dropping in, we've actually been in a series, as a, our church has been in a series about the questions that Jesus asks people that encounter him. And we're going to actually skip ahead to uh, one of his resurrection appearances. He's got a couple questions there. Uh, Jesus, in the context of this story we're about ready to read, Jesus has been publicly crucified. He has been buried uh, in a tomb, and his disciples have been hiding out in a room because they're scared. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them in the middle of this room. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Luke 24, I'm sorry, Luke 36 through 45. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. He said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the palm Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being an eternal God that has no beginning and therefore no end. Uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, we thank you for the salvation uh, that he has earned and purchased for us. And Jesus, we've come to lift up your name above every other name. We've come to worship you and we pray that you would be the focal point of all of our thoughts that we'd hear uh, the words that you have to say to us that the gravity and the goodness of them would just hit us so open up our minds and open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us in your sacred name we pray amen Amen. So here's uh, what I want to do today, just kind of put my cards on the table. I want to talk to you today about Christ's resurrection as if it's true. What I mean by that is this. I don't want to spend really a lot of time arguing for its uh, historical reliability or its believability or the truthfulness of that. Uh, there's a whole lot of great resources out there that people can look at if that's where you're at and what you need. And, uh, but today, I'd rather talk about it as if it actually happened from that perspective. And here's why. Because I believe that when we hear what it means that Jesus has risen from death, it creates a powerful longing in our heart like nothing else does. 
the meaning of Christ's resurrection is so hopeful, guys. It's so wonderful. And it's so gripping to a person's imagination that it makes our heart long for it to be true in a way that no other philosophy or religion or belief system does. That's what makes the gospel story absolutely unique. If Jesus really got up out of the grave, if if he really said and did the things that are recorded in this passage, if he actually did the things in the physical body that this says that he did, then that event has wonderful and life-changing significance for each and every one of us that live in a broken and tear-stained world. And it is a broken, sad world, amen? And that's why we need to hear this message today. Even if you've heard it a hundred times, you need to hear this again because it's relevant to the world that you and I are living in. And even if you don't believe that this is true, you're still not off the hook. You still have to have some answers to some really, really big questions. This is what this this passage is about. The resurrection of Jesus addresses three troubles that we all face. Three really deep troubles that every single one of us face. I want to put them in the form of a question. Can I be forgiven? Is there life after death? And can I really believe God's promises? And we're going to look at each of those in turn. First of all, Christ's resurrection means that we can be forgiven. You and I can actually be forgiven. Let's look at the text here, verse 36 and 37. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. Now, we remember that the night before that Jesus was arrested and crucified, he had a meal with his closest friends. And he told them, while they were sitting across the table with him, sharing this meal, he said, you're going to abandon me. You're, each and every one of you, in fact, all of you eventually are going to abandon me in the end before this thing is over. Remember that? And they all went around the table, and just like how men are, not I, oh, well, he said, no, well, not I. If he's not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And they all pledged their undying loyalty to King Jesus. They all pledged their absolute loyal love, I love you, and if everybody at this table leaves you, I'm not going to leave you, right? Remember that? And yet every single one of them, without an exception, did just that. You know, for all the sermons that they had sat under and, and for all the miracles that they had personally experienced and had a front row seat to, and for all the big talk that they talked, at the first moment of suffering and persecution and shame, they all abandoned him. They scattered. They left him alone to the most cruel death a human could endure. And then, and then here we are. All of a sudden, Jesus is back. Now just think about that for a second. He's back. 
He's standing in the room with them, right in front of them in the flesh. It turns out he really is who he said he was. It turns out he really is God's anointed king with all authority in heaven and earth. Uh oh. <laughs> right? Uh oh. That's probably, what, I think that's really what they were thinking. They had turned their backs on him in unbelief. They said they wouldn't, and they did. They left him alone to wrestle that night by himself. You bet they were frightened. You bet they were caught off guard and startled when they saw him again. I mean, surely he's come back to exact justice for their faithlessness and all their hypocrisy, right? Surely he remembers everything that they said. Surely he remembers what they actually did, what they said, and then what they actually did, right? It's only been a few days. And yet the first three words that Jesus speaks to these faithless disciples is peace to you. Before he says anything, he wants them to hear these precious words. Peace to you. This phrase is more than a greeting. It's a full-throated proclamation of salvation that Jesus is giving to them. Isn't this wonderful? He's saying, I, Jesus, I myself, I pronounce peace upon your life. I am your friend, even though you proved you were not mine. Peace to you. Peace to you. Not someone out there somewhere to you. Do you feel that, guys? You know, we've all, if we're honest, we've all said words that that we can't take back even though we wish every day we could take those words back, but we can't, you just can't unring some bells. Do you know what I'm saying? Words that have cut, words that have actually betrayed friends, words that have wounded people that we said I love you to. Real words. We've all done things, if we're being honest, that we, we you know what, we shouldn't have done it. We know we, should, we ought not to have done those things that we did. In fact, the effects of those sins we still may be haunting us today, we still may be living in the effects of those things that we have done. We tell ourselves things like this. Sure, sure, I could, we could be forgiven of some things. We could be forgiven of some things, sure, but not that thing. Not that thing. See, I knew what I was doing. And I did it anyway. I did it on purpose, knowing what I was doing. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say that. And that's inexcusable. It was unthinkable. So therefore, it must be unforgivable. You know, we say things like this to ourselves. Do, do, Do you even know the depth of my hypocrisy? It's even surprised me at this point. I know that's what the disciples were feeling. Their hypocrisy went to a level they couldn't even have imagined, right? 
I mean, do, do you know how weak my character was shown to be in that moment when it counted the most? I'm, it like, I know that people can be forgiven, and I know that she can be forgiven, and that guy over there can be forgiven, but can I be forgiven? Well, that's what we want. Can I be forgiven? And resurrected Jesus speaks to these words. These are these words of first importance, the first words he wants to say. I have made atonement for your sins. Peace to you. Yes, you. <laughs> Jesus bled and he died because that is what sin costs. There must be an atonement. There must be blood for wrongdoing. And Jesus' death was that atonement. But what Jesus' resurrection proves is that, is that God, God the ultimate judge of all things and all people of all time, God has actually accepted Christ's death. God has accepted his death on our behalf. He's accepted his atonement to satisfy the payment for sin. God said, it's good enough for me. That, that satisfies it. Paul says it in the negative in, verse, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's the big deal about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the fact that Jesus is physically alive is proof. And it's proof that our sins, no matter how evil they are, no matter how egregious they are, they have been judged and we really can be forgiven. God forgives us. Now, other people may not forgive you, but guess what? God, who is the judge, forgives you. And that's the one that counts in the end. Amen? That's good news. That is good news for hypocrites like us, like me. You see, our hearts naturally believe that forgiveness might be possible. It's possible, but it's by amassing all of our good deeds, which hopefully will make up for our bad deeds. If we have enough good deeds, if we show ourselves moral enough, that might make up for it. Or maybe we believe that forgiveness is possible years of thrashing ourselves over and over with guilt. Until we reach enough guilt to be forgiven, to earn forgiveness. But the gospel of the resurrection speaks a better word than all that to us. Forgiveness is possible when we accept that Christ alone has taken our judgment in our place. That, that, that God has found Christ's work and sacrifice satisfactory complete, to atone for our foolishness and our self-centeredness. To hearts troubled by guilt, to hearts that silently wonder, can someone like me be forgiven? Here are the very first words that the resurrection says to you. Yes, you can. Peace to you. Secondly, Christ's resurrection means there really is life after death. There really is life after death. Look at verses 39 and, and 40. 
Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Touch me and see, he says. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Question. What really happens after we die? I'm sure none of you have ever asked that question, right? What really happens? Do you see how relevant the gospel is to the deepest questions of our lives? What really happens when we die? Listen, nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure, for sure. There's lots of theories. Some say that you become a spirit and you float off into another world. Maybe that's paradise or heaven or whatever, and your body stays in the ground and it decays. Some people say that what happens is we become part of the great, one great consciousness of all of humanity that just kind of unites us all together and we lose our person and we just melt into this one consciousness. Uh, Some would say that uh, you reincarnate. You turn into another animal or some other being based on how you've lived this particular life. And some would say, look, nothing happens when we die. This is it. This is all we get. Nothing happens when we die. Your life is over and nothing that nothing of you and nothing that you have done endures past that steel wall called death. It's just it's just over and eventually it's just everything is over. Now, which is right. Those are not complimentary like complimentary views. They can't all be true. See, there's this one thing though that they all hold in common is that at the end of the day, it's all pure speculation and personal fantasy. It's what I hope is true. It's what I hope is true. But the truth is that at the end of the day, it's really just guessing in the dark. And it's hoping that our theories are right in the final moments of the final breaths before death. That that might comfort me a little bit. And I just hope it's right. I hope I see that light at the end of the tunnel because I think that's what happens. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what they all share in common except the resurrection of Jesus Christ, except the gospel. This is where it's different. I like how theologian James Montgomery Boyce puts this. He says, quote, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no certainty of life beyond the grave for anyone The writings of philosophers have many arguments for immortality, but at best, they only offer speculations that such things must be true. Close quote. Now let's go back to the story. The last time this this group of men saw Jesus, he was hanging helplessly by nails on a Roman cross. Right? They saw that. They saw what happened to him with their own eyes, right? And Luke records that the disciples in no way expected Jesus to rise from the dead, even though he told him a lot multiple times. They in no way expected him to rise from the dead. They weren't hoping for this. They weren't looking for this. They weren't expecting this. Last time I saw Jesus, he was dead. Like he was like dead, dead, right? Really dead. And yet now he's standing here before them, really alive. So surely what they're seeing is merely a spirit, 
Luke even records that, right? That's what they were thinking. I just love that the Bible doesn't like edit out people's doubts. I think that's great. Surely they're seeing a ghost of Jesus, but it's like it's not actually Jesus himself. It's not his real presence, right? And yet Jesus goes out of his way to persuade them that it actually is him. Jesus even invites them not only to see the scars that mark him, but for them to reach out and touch his body. Touch his body. He even goes so far as to ask for food so he can eat a meal with them, like he used to do. He's like, you have any, like, you got anything to eat around here? And it wasn't to, it wasn't because he was hungry. It was to show them something. Ghosts don't have teeth. Jesus has died, and he's going out of his way to prove to them that there really is life after death. He has a real physical body. It's definitely a glorified and perfected body, but it is just as certainly a physical body. And that is what the disciples went around town in Jerusalem preaching, by the way. Right after this event, they preached the resurrection of Christ. And this is what they meant. When they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus, they were not proclaiming Jesus is alive in my heart. I feel him alive in my heart. That's not what they meant when they used that word resurrection. And they didn't go around saying something like, well, the spirit of Jesus' teachings are alive and well in the world. And you can follow his teachings. And he'll, he'll come alive to you. That's not what they were preaching. And what's interesting is that no one could argue against that kind of a message. It would have behooved them to preach that, but that's not what they did. Why why can't you argue against that? Because that's an invisible and internal feeling. You can't argue with someone about how they feel, right? The disciples actually preached something a lot harder. They actually preached something that that was incredibly falsifiable, if I could use that word. Okay? Easy to falsify. They said that Jesus was raised to life in a body. That's what that word meant to them. And everybody in town knew what that word meant. Christ's resurrection means there really is life after death. And you don't have to wait till you die to find out that that's true. It's not a theory that we hope is true. It's a physical fact that comforts us upon our deathbeds. Jesus has beaten death, and so will all those that unite themselves to resurrected Jesus by trusting in him. Did you hear me? But the hope of the resurrection gets even better. As good as that is, there's actually more to this, brothers and sisters. Christ's own resurrection shows us that after our afterlife is more glorious than the death that we suffered. Think about that for a second. Our afterlife is more glorious than any death that we have suffered. That's what his resurrection tells us and shows us. Remember, remember, Jesus didn't merely die. He died at like 33 years old. He was cut down the prime of his life. It's not like he went to sleep and died in his sleep, Right? Jesus' body was slowly and systematically destroyed for hours, and then he died. 
That's what's recorded. And all the disciples witnessed this happen. Death is always cruel, and it is always disfiguring to the mind as well as to the body, to a person. And that's why it's an enemy. And yet here is Jesus, and he stands in a glorified body. He stands in a glorified body. It's a body that has flesh and bones that can be touched like before death. It's a body that can eat meals with friends like before death. It's a body that has distinguishing scars, but not a single wound. And yet, and yet, this body can appear and disappear. Wow. This, this body is not confined at all by locked doors. It's not confined by physical distances between towns. He was just in Emmaus, like a few verses before this. That's miles away. And now he's here. That's pretty cool. There's something different about this body. Right? Do you hear what I'm saying? A resurrected person does not just get their same old body back. They receive a glorified body that lets them fully experience the, a glorified world with Jesus Christ. That's pretty awesome. Isn't that great? Because death destroys this thing here. And it's sad, right? And this thing here, it's going to be glorified. It's going to be glorified. All other philosophies and religions they tell a message of consolation. That's their, they have a good news, but their good news is a good news of consolation. Here's your consolation to your pain. Here's a consolation to death. Here's the salve, right? They can lessen the stinging loss of death, but they cannot remove the sting. It always stays with us till it's our turn. This is where the gospel is different. Only Christ shows us a message of restoration, not consolation, restoration, better than it was, better than it was. This really puts it in a unique category, brothers and sisters. Not only can we be certain that there actually is life after death, but it will be a glorious life, fully satisfying life. We will be fully human. You will be more human than you've ever been. Not something else. Isn't that great? Wow. Good news. Christ has risen from the dead in a physical and glorified body. That means that everything that death has picked and stolen from us will be restored to us. Plus more. You get it all back with an upgrade. Isn't that great? Jesus has robbed death, get this, not only of its victory over us, but of all of its trophies too. Your mind and your memories, your body, the whole thing. It's end-to-end salvation. Isn't that great? Thirdly, Christ's resurrection means that we can believe God's promises really are true. 
We can believe that God's promises are true because Jesus has risen from the dead. Look at the text, verse 44, 45. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Must be fulfilled. 45. Then he opened their minds to understand. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus says that everything in the Bible, and he means the whole Testament, everything in the Bible the law, the prophets, the psalms, the writings, all of it was ultimately about him. Every bit of the Bible is about Jesus. Every bit of the Bible is about the gospel, not just the New Testament. That's what Jesus says. That's his interpretational grid he gives to us. God has made promises throughout the entire Bible to rescue his people and to restore the world to its original purpose. And Jesus came, he says, to fulfill those gigantic promises. He came to fulfill all of that. He is the fulfillment of all of that. God wrote checks and Jesus came to cash them. That's basically what he's saying. And his crucifixion and his resurrection is the historical, physical, objective proof that he really has fulfilled them. The Apostle Paul goes on to explain it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And that's why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. God makes a promise and Jesus says, yes. Amen means so be it, right? In the, in the Hebrew, right? So be it. The physical, visible, historical resurrection of Jesus is the proof that God has kept and he will continue to keep all of the promises that he's made over the years and years and centuries and centuries. He's really going to keep all those promises. God is not, he's not a promise maker like you and I are. He's not a promise maker like your dad or your spouse, or your friends are. Sometimes they keep their promises, and sometimes they just can't. Extenuating circumstances, they just can't, right? God doesn't make promises like the airline people do, or the internet providers, or Amazon does either. I mean, they make promises, sweet promises. And they make them with caveats, and asterisks, and, and blackout dates, and fine print, and limited time, hurry now. Sometimes they keep their promises. Sometimes their promises are too good to be true. And we fall for them, don't we? Don't you? I have. But God makes these huge, bodacious, my reputation is on the line, there is no fine print kind of promises. And he makes, us to the, makes them to those that believe in him. He fulfills every promise he makes. Every one of them. Yeah, but how do I know? That sounds good, and I want to believe it, but how do I know? Good question. Here's how you know. Because Jesus was God in the flesh, coming to make all the promises that he kept. 
Because he did what he said he would do. He did what he said he was doing. Remember, all that's about Jesus, right? He said, I'm going to do what I said I would do. Jesus said he'd die and that he'd rise from the dead. What? According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. They wrote it down so you could hold God to it. And he said, and I did it. If he's kept that promise, I promise I'm going to come die on a cross and I'm going to rise again from the dead, if you can keep that ridiculously hard, I dare say impossible promise, how many more of those other promises he's going to keep, right? He kept the hardest one. He kept the hardest one. There's something inside of us, I think, that wants to believe the good news. We really, deep down, we want to believe that we can be forgiven. That sounds great. And like, just like, I want to believe that. I really, really want to believe that. Uh, we want to believe that there really is life after death, that we were made for more than this life. But those, let's be honest, those are big-time promises, big-time promises. And we've been fooled by lesser promises, amen? We've been tricked by lesser things. And those are big ones. Other people have made lesser promises that were broken. So what about these promises that God makes? How can we know? How can we be sure we're not being duped? That's the beauty of the resurrection, family. That's the beauty of the resurrection. It's not just true. It's beautiful. And there's power and beauty. God knows your suspicion to believe his promises. He's like factored it in. He already knows. Even the disciples were suspicious. Did you notice that? Did you, did you hear that part where we read it? They were skeptical. They're like, I'm not, I'm not getting in on this right away. I got to check this out. Right? Even the disciples were slow to believe. They even doubted for a while, some of them, it says. This is why God has supplied you with help to believe. How? Through the resurrection of his son. Jesus rose from the dead in a glorified body, not as some like random miracle to impress people. It wasn't like some like party trick. Like, hey, look what I can do. I can come back from the dead. This is the miracle of all the miracles. You understand? This is the miracle of all the other miracles. He rose from the dead, it says, according to the scriptures. He was keeping his promise. His reputation was on the line. And he did what he said he would do in a way that you and I could know. He fulfilled all the scriptures. Therefore, therefore, you are no fool to believe the promises of God. Did you hear what I said? You are not a sucker. You will not be ashamed for trusting your life to Jesus Christ and for believing all of his promises. And by the way, by the way, I'm almost done here, but if that wasn't enough to tug at our hearts and help us believe, there's even more help that's been given to us. God just like, he just like pours it on. It's almost like he wants you and I to believe in him, you know? More help has been given to you and me. It says that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right? Isn't that great? Would you just look at how gentle Jesus is 
to hypocrites and doubters? I wish I was that gentle with skeptical people. Look at how much he loves them. Look at how much he, he just wants to help give, give help to those that have weak faith and failing faith and fragile faith. Listen, he knows you can't believe in him without him helping you. <laughs> and he's willing to help you and me. Isn't that great? And he gives that help freely. So what? So ask Jesus to open your mind to understand the resurrection. And he will help you. Will help you trust him. Just be honest with him. Tell him. Tell him your fears. Tell him what you're afraid about. Tell him that, like, maybe you're afraid that, that if you believe, then this might mean something in your life has to change. And you're afraid of what might have to, might, might change. So tell him that. Tell, tell him that maybe you're afraid of being called a fool by your friends and you really like your friends. They think well of you. Tell him maybe you're afraid of just believing some nice fairy tale and you don't want to be a sucker. Whatever it is, tell him. Tell Jesus why you cannot believe right now and ask him to help you. Ask him to help you believe and trust him. Guess what? You know what? He will. He really will. He will give you the faith that you need to trust in him because he knows. That's why he's given all this help. And one more thing. When he does, when he does give you help, when he does open your doubting mind, when he does respond to you with great gentleness, thank him by giving your life to him. Call him your Lord and your God. He deserves it. He deserves it. He's worthy of that. And he loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. You're too good to us. You're so kind. Thank you for, for how you, all that you did to forgive us of our sins, to give us life after death, and to help us believe in all the promises of God. Lord, would you help us more and more trust you, give our life away to you, believe in you, Lord. Help us where we struggle with that. Help us where we're afraid and we're doubting. Don't chastise us. You're not harsh with us when, we tell, when we're honest with you about that. You're actually really gentle. And you say, come to me, touch me. I want you to know me. And there is no God like that. We thank you for who you are. Change what our heart wants the most. Change what our heart desires the most. Let it be you, dear Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.